0: Hi, I'm Shelley, and I'm Cam, and this is Translating ADHD. So on the heels of our decision-making episodes, we've started looking at the other things that prevent us from getting to action as people with ADHD, starting with last week's episode on value. Today, we're going to look at avoidance and avoiding behavior. And I want to throw in a caveat here. This is the episode that some people might call the procrastination episode. But Cam and I don't like to focus on the word procrastination, and here's why. The definition of procrastination is to put off intentionally the doing of something that ought to be done. And Cam and I find again and again that for our clients, Who think they are struggling with procrastination? There is something else up beyond the lunch counter going on for them that is preventing them from doing what they know they ought to do. So instead of tackling procrastination as a topic, we're going to tackle some of the component pieces that we see over and over again with our clients that they might call procrastination, starting with today's topic of avoidance. So what does it mean when we say avoidance? Well, it can look a couple of different ways. Number one is thing X is the most important thing in your day or in your week. And so that is at the top of your list. And yet you do thing Y, thing Z, maybe you even make up thing A and B and thing X is not getting done. What's up with that? Number two is kind of the limbic system version of this where You get so deep into avoiding thing X that you freeze and you can't get to thing Y or thing Z. You can't get to action on anything at all. So for me, Cam, this is what I would call being in Hoth. One way that I could end up in Hoth was avoiding to the point that I froze and then freezing on everything, not making progress anywhere. And now those Hoth doors start to close for me.
1: Right. You burn it all down, torch it. Yep. Then then retreat to Hoth.
0: Yep. That's right. That's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I like where we're going here because procrastination is kind of like this momentum stopper. We're looking at developing awareness, learning what's going on more than just at manifestation. And so often, again, what's served up to us is, well, you procrastinate. And procrastination is this conversation stopper. I procrastinate, help me out. And you're so right. It's what is feeding that behavior. And so looking at avoidance is much like decision-making. You know, as I was thinking about this over the weekend, I was thinking, okay, there's a lot here around avoidance, just like we were looking at with the previous weeks around decision-making. So I love what you were talking about there we know exactly what we want to do, Project X. It's at the top of our list. And we do everything but Project X. And I think that's where our big focus is going to be today around avoidance of work that we know we have and we want to do, and it's relevant. It is of high value. And yet, for some reason, we don't do it. I think with procrastination, it's sort of like this absence of activity, hesitation or delay or just not doing it. Avoidant activity can be extremely active. We've talked about our DAM acronym, D-A-M, trying to identify that missing behavior. you got to dig past the distracting behavior and the avoiding-type behaviors. We are masters at avoidance. We are masters at finding ways to not do what we know we ought to do. And so, again, we'll look at a couple different things here. Where do you want to start, Shelly?
0: I'd like to bring in a relevant client example from last week because I think it speaks to a place where avoiding behavior happens a lot for our clients, Cam, and that is email. Email is a place where avoiding behavior happens quite frequently for my clients to the point that I don't communicate with my clients via email so that I don't get caught in that avoidant behavior. Before we've had a chance to work on it. So, this particular client is a graphic designer. Okay. And our conversation started with this is the same client who I was talking about last week, who was stuck in that reactive mode, you know, reacting to email, reacting to email, reacting to email. And so, this week we dug in a little deeper and we discovered that part of the reason she feels so beholden to be on the email treadmill is she feels like it's never caught up. And she feels like it's never caught up because there are these hard emails. That was her language, these hard emails sitting at the bottom of the pile. And so since she couldn't deal with those, at least she could keep the easy ones caught up. Yet the backlog's still there. The hard emails are still there. So I asked her, what makes a hard email for you? And she's a graphic designer, okay? And she said, a hard email for me is when a client comes back to me after we've done final designs and they ask me to pick my favorites. I can't pick my favorites because they're all my favorites. I have produced what I think is my best work for this client. How can I possibly pick favorites? But, you know, I feel obligated to answer them. And give them my favorites so it's something that I always agonize over and I never feel good about answering. And so I said, hmm, if I was a client of yours, what you just said would make a lot of sense to me, that you can't pick your favorites and here's why. Do you think that would make sense to your clients? She went, yeah, I do. And so from there, all of a sudden, we went from one type of email that individually each one is so painful to answer to a category of emails that she could develop a template around explaining why she doesn't like to pick favorites, why she doesn't feel that that's her role, and making them so much easier to answer moving forward. So now this category of email will no longer fall to the bottom as a quote-unquote hard email. It will no longer fall into that place of avoidance because she knows what to do with it now. And so, Cam, what we did is we found the obstacle. We found the obstacle that she kept running up against that was causing her to divert and avoid and go for the easy emails over and over again.
1: That's a great example. I think that is indicative of the type of work that we do. Often our clients come with this sort of general sense of procrastination or general sense of avoidance and this question why do i avoid and when you start to look at some specific things of like an email and what makes a hard email hard you dig in there and you start to get a sense of what is actually at work there that is deterring you from success or forward motion so that kind of fundamental obstacle is often at play and there's a couple others that are at play too i mean for that it's like again they're all great. How can I vote on my work that I think is all good? So that's a really interesting thing. Of And there's another way that ADD is coming into play with this sort of like, we will kind of want to have this one-sided conversation like, oh, I have to pick the best and give them the final product. When in fact, it can be this discussion, this dialogue of, you know what? Well, I've made my choice already and I'm going to hand it back to you. That's your job. So this is distinguishing roles, but it's also getting super clear. I also like what you said about you're taking this hard thing, this thing where you're being really avoidant around, and you're turning it into a template opportunity to kind of group these types together so you can hit them all in a similar fashion. So avoidance, there's a couple areas that we can avoid. Again, we can be very active about it, and it can come in many different forms. We can avoid work. We can avoid conflict. We can avoid conflict in work. We can avoid perceived conflict. And I want to make that distinction. There's conflict, and then there's conflict we think may occur. That's that sort of catastrophizing of a situation.
0: Yeah, Cam, on that one, I want to go right back to email and say, that's the old email. That's the email that sat for too long, that you have now built up this whole story in your head, that the other party is upset with you is going to be angry, is going to be even more angry when your response reminds them of how old that email was that puts you into avoidance, right? That just complete overblowing of, oh, I'm too late. And so now there's no non-painful way out of this.
1: Right. And your emotional regulation, which is a part of the whole ADHD phenomenon, takes off a bit. And so then we start to avoid those feelings associated with the task that's been sitting there for some time. You mentioned before the call today, another place where we will avoid is any kind of risk, right? Yeah. Of putting, our, putting ourselves out there. With ADHD, it's about inconsistent performance. And so when it comes to performance, when it comes to consistency, when it comes to showing up, we may hesitate. We may go back to like, oh, I got to get my ducks in a row. And then we get into that perfectionism of all the ducks in the row. Well, we know we can't get all of our ducks in the row. That's just not possible. You can't have that perfect. So that is where good enough is. You talked about the limbic system. And I want to go there too, because that's going to be at play. That when we are stressed, when we are put under some strain and we go to And especially when we use urgency to get things done, our our, um, adrenaline response cycle arc, that we go to the fight flight center in the brain. So we will either fight, engage, or we will flee, run away, or freeze. So two of those three actually have avoidant behavior right in there of either freezing or fleeing. We tend to be conflict. Avoidant.
0: That is the story of my professional organizing business and why I lacked consistency. One undone task with new clients when I was organizing, I used to do a written action plan. This was one of those things that I did because other organizers did it. And so I felt I ought to do it. And I hated doing them, they were painful for me to do. And so I would go out and I charged for this session. I charged more for this session than my hourly rate because they were getting a written action plan and then I would come home and I wouldn't do the thing and it would sit and it would sit you know and then a week would that's, go by
1: that's your ex that's yeah. project
0: x right yeah there. <laughs> and then it'd get to be two and I'd be feeling really bad and then it would become a snowball effect cam where I'm not answering prospect emails I'm not checking in on my clients who wanted to get back on my schedule. I'm not maintaining my business. And so for the first several years of my business, until I started to figure out what works for me, I had these peaks and valleys of really busy times and really dead times because the dead times would be on the slope of a project X that didn't get done to the detriment of everything else that kept my business going and kept new clients coming in the door total lack of consistency.
1: So what was it? I, and I laugh not to laugh at you. But oh, you could laugh I at really, me. It's cool. <laughs> really, you know, really, really, you know, because again, when you say written action plan. Yeah. You know, yes. It's again, it's sort of like the industry norm and you did it because others did it. And that's what organizers did. So you did it not knowing any better. So number one, it's thinking that this is should, that you should do it. It's going to be uh, add value for the client. It might likely will be, but just the, like, what was the fundamental obstacle? We talked about the fundamental obstacle for that client around emails. What was the fundamental obstacle for you around this written action plan?
0: So it was twofold because what I was doing at this time is I was going out and talking with the client about what they wanted to do, looking at their space And then I was going home and writing the plan myself. And so as I started to write it, these dependencies would come up. Mm. You know, hmm, I don't know where the client's priority is here. I don't know how they want to tackle this. And the other thing is, is, I didn't know how detailed to be because I build this as a potential separate service from my organizing, meaning... You can continue and we can work our action plan together, or I'm delivering you an action plan that will tell you what to do. So, how detailed do I need to be? How much do I need to include? And so, these things would end up being like six pages long. And I'll tell you what. And there's that zoom
1: in, zoom out we talked about last
0: week. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, never once did somebody hire me to come out and do an action plan and not then hire me to do organizing work after that. So, it was all of this work for something that the client often never looked at again. And so The Solve ended up being, and I can thank uh, industry colleague Janine Adams. She is an organizer here in St. Louis who has been a wonderful friend and mentor over the years because I finally went to her and I said, this is making me crazy. How do you do this? And she said, well, I do it in collaboration with the client. So we're developing the plan during that action plan session. That makes so much more sense because the client doesn't need a comprehensive plan for every room that is disorganized. They need a blueprint for where we're starting, what the priorities are, what matters, what does organized look like in this space for them. So when it went from me trying to guess and write a fully thought out, top to bottom, organize your whole house plan for a client to... Comprehensive. Ah. Don't forget that. Yeah. to working with the client to capture what mattered in our action plan, they became much easier to do. Mm. Because all I had to do at that point was take home my notes, type them up, send them to the client. And guess what? It was a much more useful document too, because as we started to get somewhere on our first set of tasks, we could look at what did we think the next priority was? Let's check in on that you know, this is where we thought we were going next. Is that still relevant here? It gave us a place to work from rather than just being this long, comprehensive document that nobody ever looked at again and was painful for me to produce in the first place.
1: So you made it more relevant for you. Yeah. right, And for the client. Well, for the client and as a springboard versus some dissertation.
0: Yeah, Cam. And if you recall... We had a similar conversation when you were coaching me around client notes. I put myself right back in the same damn box when I started becoming more of a full-time coach of sending client notes after the client session. And so at the time, I would take my notes by hand, I would look at my handwritten notes, and I would type an email to my clients. And it became just as painful. It's something that often didn't get done between client sessions. And you told me what you do. I take the notes while I'm talking to the client. That's brilliant. That is why I use Discord with my clients now. Because Discord is a conversational platform. So it's a place where I feel I can just type what I'm hearing. I don't have to worry about perfect sentence structure. I don't have to worry about if I've misspelled or not punctuated correctly. I'm just trying to capture the essence of what's happening in the session for the client to be able to refer back to and for me to be able to refer back to and by communicating with my clients on a conversational platform i'm able to let go of some of the expectations of something like email where you're supposed to have a greeting and an intro and a closing and all of that nonsense and just put what matters
1: you know I'm, as i'm listening to you it's i think it's a great little template for our listeners to sort of think about look and consider something that you a project x that you're avoiding you're noticing avoiding and how you're avoiding it, number one. But number two, what exactly has you avoiding it? Because as we're talking about this, there's no emotional energy around this anymore, Shelly, right? It just is. It's factual in the sense of okay, here's my dilemma. I'm realizing my dilemma. And when you really kind of considered it, tweaked it, collaborated, there was a collaboration effort. There was going and seeking a resource in Janine. Like, hey, how do you do this? It became less charged. Because what we can do is in the state of avoidance, we are vulnerable to this. Oh, you know, here I go again. We're vulnerable to that limited or that negative self-talk that can kind of find its way in the back door and like, oh, there you go again, not showing up, not blah, blah, blah. And so really kind of turning. Getting objective, maybe looking at it with a friend and really considering okay, what are the mechanics or pieces that are in play here? As you were talking about that and that written action plan, I went way back to my school days of we were on a trimester system, no grades, no grades. I had to write a one page narrative on the child. But I had a stack of tests and homeworks, which were all had to be graded. Grade that, but then take that. And it was sort of like, again, this, as you said earlier, what what clued me in was I didn't have all the information. You didn't have the information. I didn't have a process. I wasn't sure how to take it from, again, a test with a test score to a narrative. And that process, I didn't have the experience of it. Didn't have the template, I was all by myself on that. And it was when I got my own coach, Russell Culver, that she sat with me and we sort of talked about that process and what that process could be. And that I didn't have to do it like other teachers, which were extremely comprehensive. Again, what am I trying to do here? Make it relevant for me. So, and more on avoidance in the sense of. I didn't have enough information. I didn't have enough around the process. I didn't have an entry point. And I think that's another thing is like finding an entry point. We will often kind of think that there's one entry point to every project. And that is not the case.
0: Cam, there's a big one that I'm noticing in both of our stories here too. And that is knowing your role. Mm. You didn't know your role. I didn't know my role because I didn't know what the client expected to get from me. So in your case, it was about discovering what your role really is here. What does this need to be? And how can I do this in a way that works for me that is what it needs to be? For me, there was an extra element there as a self-employed person of managing expectations. So rather than delivering something to a client not knowing what they expect from me at all, and therefore trying to give them everything in the kitchen sink, my real opportunity there was to manage expectations up front and still is. When I talk to clients, I'm very upfront about I use Discord for client notes. That's where they go. I don't put them anywhere else because that doesn't work for me. So if you don't want to use the platform for anything else, that is where your notes will be because that is what works for me. This is the style that works for me. That's managing expectations up front. That's telling the client in this instance, this is what my role is. And I think so often, as self employed people, we miss the opportunity to define our roles. You know, we so often, as people with ADHD who want to know what our role is and who thrive when we know what our role is, miss those places where it's up to us to manage expectations and to determine what our role is. My client, the graphic designer, exact same thing. That is her opportunity to manage expectations and let the client know what her role is and that this stands outside of her role in this process.
1: I was just gonna say your client was it was spot on the sense of discerning distinguishing role there And what we're coming up with here is a nice little tool to help with avoidant behavior roles, responsibilities and expectations. We've talked about the pause that, looking to create a pause moment around decision making is this moment call for a decision and here as you're avoiding to move past that discomfort to get curious and explore what's going on here what is that fundamental obstacle it could be a series of obstacles could be a limiting perspective to get to and really think about okay what is my role is the role clarified does it need more clarification Who's responsible for what? And is there an opportunity to manage expectations? Because remember, listeners, that's one of those ones that can just sneak up on us and we will just elevate those expectations to, again, that hard email becomes this perfect email or the perfect response or the complete response. To think about what is an iterative process here that I can kind of get it out, get it back. This back and forth that I can engage with this thing with more than just me and my brain right now.
0: And I want to point out as we come to the close of our episode today that this is really deep, high level work on your own ADHD. I want you to notice that this client story that I've brought was not over one session, it was over two, and it didn't start with avoidance. It started with reactive mode. It started with why am I so in my email all of the time? Yeah. It took us a second session to get to the truth of these hard emails and the avoiding behavior being dealing with the easy emails to continue avoiding the harder ones. And this is a client I've been working with for a while. So we got there in two sessions, but she's also done a lot of other work in our time together. So just like we said, decision-making is at the heart of what we work with clients on every day. This gap between intention and action, where avoidance lives and where some other behaviors live that we will talk about in the future, it's also right at the heart of the work we're doing every day. That is where we are digging and learning week after week with our clients. So while we're giving you examples of things to look at, and things that might be at obstacle for you. Just know that sometimes those answers are surprising and you have to keep digging. This isn't a, once I've solved it once, once I've solved why I avoid once, I've solved it forever. It's so individual, both to the task at hand and how your ADHD is manifesting.
1: And so the reason why we avoid, we don't wake up and say, well, I'm going to avoid. I'm going to set out to avoid today. We're avoiding because we're missing that muscle to engage we're missing that ability to go from neutral and into first gear and into second gear we typically are neutral and then we will light it and be the rocket because we don't have that second gear we don't have that ability to activate for task and start so what do we do we do something instead we're not just going to sit we're going to do things that make us feel better About ourselves in that moment. So we'll distract ourselves. We'll go work on Y and Z. But all the while, there it sits. And so, yeah, start to approach Project X and be curious about it. Let it evolve. The story of Project X, let it evolve over time. As Shelley says, this is not one episode that's going to fix avoidance. Avoidance is at play. So just take a look at it objectively. Don't pile on yourself with, oh my God, look at all that avoiding I'm doing. Because there are going to be a few of you are going to be like, oh my goodness, I'm." <laughs> you guys are revealing my avoidant behavior and I'm not appreciating it. I'm in this picture and I don't like it. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> um, Cam, I'm laughing because that was me when I came to coaching with you. I was deep in avoidance everywhere in my life, my business, my house, I was so far into Hoth and into distracting behavior that wasn't moving anything of priority for me forward. And so, yes, I was in that picture and I did not like it. <laughs> and that's what that face was about as you were describing it because
1: yeah, we've seen, seen that a couple there. times. Yeah. we've seen that a couple of times on Twitter, just like I, that little, the, the, you know, right. The, The response, A, B, and C, and C is, you know, I'm in this picture and I don't like it. So go ahead and move past that. You can move past that to being curious about this. And notice that we've really moved far away from this whole conversation around procrastination. Procrastination is a word. It works, but it really doesn't help us move into the actual behavior we are doing. This very active and creative. Remember, like I'll just say one more time. Remember me back sitting in my office and my wife saying, You're not working. I had convinced myself that I was working when, in fact, I was really avoiding doing the hard work. And I just was fooling myself and convincing myself that, oh, these matter. When, in fact, I hadn't really figured out that fundamental obstacle. When I stopped and turned and looked, with friends, with coaches, with curiosity, then the answers started to come and they will start to come for you, listeners.
0: Well said, Cam. And I think that's a great place for us to wrap this episode for this week. So I don't know whether it was Cam's aggressive ask a few weeks ago or something else, but we have noticed that several of you have put out new reviews. So thank you so much for that. If you haven't done that yet and you have the bandwidth to do so, Reviews are 100% the best way to help other people find the show. So if the show is helping you, help someone else out if you can by leaving a review and rating where you listen. Tell someone you know, tell a friend, tell an enemy, spread the word however it is comfortable for you. Another way you can help support the show is by becoming a patron. If you visit the website translatingadhd.com, click on the Patreon link in the upper right hand corner. You can support the show for $5 a month. And that gives you access to our Discord community where you can discuss episodes with Cam and I and also interact with the other wonderful members of the community who are really building a community of support, accountability, and starting to do their own understand, own, and translate work together. So until next week, I'm Shelly, And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.
1: Um uh-huh. you.